five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. goes out to our birthday girl sp dimples who was requesting a little uh gyrating robert plant to perk her up in her uh from her midday reverie what's going on everybody it's me robert phoenix hey i'm back um astro weather was a little rough today so i had to redo astro weather I literally did another video, put it up. It has to do with the spirit of Aries and uh, pushing through, ramming, ramming through any impediments of the day. So I'm like, to hell, to hell with mediocrity. And it's just settling for a video. That's not going to fly. Especially not today. Had issues with Rumble yesterday. Got issues with Rumble again today. Uh, yesterday, I was on Frank, quite frankly, show. And it was a really good segment. And then, apparently, the episode got pulled because there was some kind of a copyright restriction. I don't know if Frank will edit that out or not. Um, but the internets have not been conducive to doing this sort of thing over the past 24 hours but luckily we have 15 minutes of flame we're still we're still pumping it out here you know i was watching led zeppelin and i realized i realized that a lot of bands got their inspiration from led zeppelin and let's just be clear I mean, they're one of the most influential bands ever. But I can tell you who got some direct inspiration from Led Zeppelin, and that's Kiss. Because I was looking at Jimmy Page, and, you know, he he had his little uh, wizard. He's a wizard costumery with the stars. I'm like, Ace Freely paid attention to that. Right? Ace Freely said, let me make a costume out of this. And even with Robert Plant, you know, who's this, you know, the sex symbol, right? The ultimate front man for a rock band. And, you know, Paul Stan, you can see Paul Stan say, well, let me, let me be even bigger than Robert Plant. Let me, let me put a, uh, you know, a star on my eye. And, 
model myself after a, you know, 1920s silent film star, which I think he kind of did. Right. So he was going to go one more than Robert Plant. He was going to try to outplant Plant. And even Bonham, like Bonham has a distinct personality. He's got the headband on, he's banging away at the drums, got the long hair. And then you have Peter Chris, who of course takes on the cat prison. You can see that Kiss, you know, with their comic book imagery was kind of playing off Led Zeppelin, I think. They wanted to, you know, dress up and grease paint up and over Led Zeppelin. That's my theory. I can't explain. John Paul Jones and Gene Simmons, though. I think there was kind of a, a competition with English rock bands to who could have the most nondescript bass player between John Antwistle, John Paul Jones, and Bill Wyman. Who could be more nondescript? And Gene Simmons says, fuck that. I'm not going to do that. Anyway, just a notice, and uh, happy birthday, SP. Hope you're having a good one. Let's talk a little true hemp science. All right, I got a new shipment. I got to I got to dig into it. I got I got to see what uh, showed up. Start sampling it. So here we go. If you want to get into some of the best CBD that you can have on the internet. I know I say it every day, but the only reason I say it is, is because it's true. I know there's a lot of choices out there. There are a lot of choices. For me, there's only one choice. And that's true in science. And that's because, well, first of all, I have a personal relationship with the guy that makes the stuff. And I think character means a lot. It, it transfers into the product. And not only character, but Chris is a bit of a mad scientist. So he's always tinkering and trying to get the best extraction, right? So not only does he have character, but he's, you know, in the lab, right? So I know he's always doing his best to improve upon the quality of the product. So these things I can vouch for. I can totally vouch for it. Anyway, if you're interested in CBD and you want to know more about it, um, go to trimscience.com. You can call them up, go into the find us option right here. There's the number. Speak to us. Speak to us. Yes, you can speak to them. And if you get $100 or more of the product, type in 15MINS and you'll get Free product. Who wouldn't want to do that? $150 or more gets you free shipping. There you go. All right. I didn't have a whole lot of time to interact with people on chat today over on YouTube because I wanted to get things going. But in lieu of that, I can interact with you. So let's do that. Let's interact. Let's connect. See what you guys are up to. All right. We got Kelly B in the house. What's going on, Kelly B? DJ MC, what's happening, Michael? Agni, 
who will make their bones today? Good question. Kelly B, uh, interesting morning already. It sure has been. I already had to redo one show. Weird shit going on with Rumble. What's going on, Fran? Good to see you. Uh, TJ in the house. Tomas, Sony. Hi, Sony. Gigi is on a walk. Gigi's always on the move. Good for you, Gigi. We're sending our love right back. Wendy says, back in the house, if I had, if I had an applause function i'd hit it over and over again welcome back wendy good to see you we're happy you're here with us there she is the the birthday girl sp dimples let's see here we go queen lisa what's going on queen lisa she's going to a rock and roll show this year uh darlene what's happening darlene I watch the Astro Weather replay. Oh, good. Good. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's an Aries day. I was not going to just say, oh, that's good enough. It's not. Uh Hucklebuck 411. What's happening, Huck? Harriet Bowie checking in. Uh, will Trump be arrested today and start the conflagration? It is 322. It would be an interesting day to be arrested. Now, I heard it's next week. He'll be arrested in two weeks. User 13, what's happening, user 13? Good morning to you. Love me some Led Zeppelin. Will the levy break today? That's a really good... Uh, that is a, a good rejoinder. Look at SP Dimples. I did. My second favorite, Robert on display. <laughs> That's funny. You know, Robert Plant used to wear the apparel of the women he had slept with probably minutes before the show or the night before. That's why his shirts were always too small. Robert Plant and the Valhalla of rock and roll. Oh, well, he's not gone yet. Sai Inara, what's happening? Love that. Sea Pines in the house. Oh, look at that. Kelly, I didn't see it in chat. Did uh, Kelly let it rip today? Good on you. Oh, look at that. Lynn's here. She had a great visit with her daughter. Good to know. One AI, the outtakes of TSRTS are amazing. The no quarter guitar solo is Paige at his absolute best. That was not my first choice for the song today. My favorite Leds, I have some favorite Led Zeppelin songs. But uh, I thought it came down to Black Dog or Rock and Roll. So I just went with Black Dog because I felt like it was uh, Robert Planty enough for SP. But um, one of my favorite Zeppelin songs is uh, Trampled Underfoot. I love Trampled Underfoot. I couldn't find a good live version of it. And I really like Dancing Days. Those are two of my favorite songs. 
Uh, no quarter is great, too. Uh, let's see who else we have. Led Zeppelin and Crowley. Leela, LMM, what's happening, Leela? Good to see you. Marie NYC, good morning to you, Marie NYC. I always thought that Cashmere would be a good song for a natural childbirth process. Never had any littles. You think the music, yeah, Cashmere's beautiful, right? So when I was, uh, when we were expecting my son, I told the story before. We we had this whole water birth thing lined up. It was in this uh, birthing center in San Diego. And we'd worked on this thing for months, met with the midwife there. You know, we're doing all the alternative stuff, hip hypnobirthing. We went to these hypnobirthing classes. I have to hand it to um my my ex-wife. She was really in that in that area, she was really game for stuff, right? She was like, I'll do hypnobirthing. Let's do a water birth. She was, you know, I was like, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a reason why I, I married this woman after knowing her for only three and a half weeks. <laughs> I swear to God, it's true. A little bit longer than that, maybe five and a half. But I was like, yeah, okay, this is panning out. She's doing the hypnobirthing. We're doing a water birth. Okay, we're on the same page. And I made this um, extended playlist. For the whole, I mean, I went through all these songs. Like, these are going to be his birth songs. And it just didn't work out that way. Uh, let's see. You did amazingly, quite frankly. I enjoy, oh, good. Is it still up? I thought it, I thought it got taken down. Maybe Frank made a, um, an edit to it. I always love being on the show with Frank. He's cool. Very cool. Happy popping out day like that. Hey, Christine's here. Thanks, Christine. I saw Robert Plant. Robert Plant has gone through a lot of different phases. I mean, his post-Zeppelin career is actually pretty interesting. I have to say, if you think about it, he went through the Honey Drippers phase. He kind of got into that kind of whole world music um, phase. Uh, he did the, you know, what the Allison... Krauss thing, you know, the, the, the kind of, uh, American folky singer songwriter. He lived in Austin. So I, uh, plant has had a really interesting post Zeppelin career. More interesting than page. I think just my humble observation, Catherine Kramer's here. What's happening. My bestie's seen him with Allison Krauss soon. There you go. See, there it is. Uh, let's see. Well, the airy sun has hit me by getting my thumb smashed hard yesterday. I have to burn little holes in my nail bed to release the blood. It hurts like motherfuckers. Well, if there's anybody that can relate to today's energy, it's Queen Lisa, who has Aries and spades. Uh, let's see who else we have. This is going to turn out ugly. I saw a Zeppelin cover band many years ago. They weren't bad. Were they called uh, Greta Van Fleet? I have to admit, I, I've, I've tried to listen to Greta Van Fleet. Van Fleet. I could hear this. I could kind of hear the Zeppelin in them. But I didn't spend too much time listening to them. Rumble appears to be down. Um, oh, good. So quite the quite frankly is over on Rumble. Oh, that's cool. Thanks, TJ. 
Appreciate that. Led Zeppelin and Kiss in the same. I'm telling. Well, if you're Kiss, why wouldn't you look at Led Zeppelin and say, "That's our model, and we've got to go in our minds one better." I don't. I don't think that's a stretch. I mean, look at Jimmy Page. He's all starred up, right? And what does Ace Freely do? He kind of has the same sort of, you know, wizard astro vibe. That's just my take. Because Zeppelin has three distinct personalities. I don't think John uh, John Paul Jones is a distinct personality. But that's another story. Gene Simmons is a Leo. Nondescript is in his vocabulary. Uh, Gene. Chaim. Chaim Whites. Also known as Gene Simmons. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Just ordered some sleep gummies. Hopefully they help. Yes, they do. I can tell you right now. Peaches, what are you doing? You want to get on the show today? You want to be over here today? Peaches is feeling it today, man. Jasper's in the bathroom. I don't know what he's doing. Um, let's see. Who else do we have? Anybody else? Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, Elvis Stoiko, man. He was a badass. Total bad. You kind of got to be a badass if you're named Elvis. One of my favorite uh, <clears throat> sports names was this guy who played running back for Oklahoma. His name was Elvis Peacock. Can you fucking believe that? Elvis Peacock. You got to be good if you're Elvis Peacock. I guess if football didn't work out for he he had a little bit of a run in the NFL. He was okay. He was not as good as Joe Washington, who, who was in the same backfield. But if the NFL didn't work out with a name like Elvis Peacock, you got to be a pimp. That is a pimp name, Elvis Peacock. I'm so sick of drama. I know, right? Absolutely. He was, he was, he actually was dating Patty Griffin, I think. Weren't they a thing? I think they were a thing. So we had some drama in chat today. Oh, I missed it. Kelly was on fire. I would have liked to have seen that. Bo's here. What's going on, Bo? Thank you. Appreciate that. The song Ohio with Patty Griffin is lovely. Do you think Patty Griffin could do a version of Fire by the Ohio Players? That would be a stretch, wouldn't it? Let's see. Frank may have fixed it. Cool. Good. All right. I may actually put put a clip of that up on the YouTube show on my YouTube channel. I'll ask Frank if that's okay. Um, let's see. Are we are we caught up with everybody? Everybody here? Did I miss anyone? I think we're good. We good. All right. Let's get into the show. I have, I have a funny anecdote. Sometimes I like to start the show off with a funny anecdote. So uh, the shadow man came by yesterday, Benito, which was cool. It was great seeing Benito. And um, we went out to uh, have some 
some food in town. It's always weird, like trying to find a restaurant in Fredericksburg on a Tuesday. Nobody's open. It's, it's, it's really strange, right? It's kind of like, fuck the locals. We don't need you. We're only here for the tourist trade which really starts to kick in on Wednesday and ends on Sunday. So we'll be open then. But Monday, Tuesday, go pound sand. That's really kind of what, what happens here in this town. So, of course, uh, Benito and I were trying to find barbecue. And we struck out on both barbecue places because they're both closed on Tuesday. Um, so we went to this other place. It was his, his food was better than mine. I can tell you that right now. I had some lazy ass wings. They're lazy, lazy wings. You know why they were lazy? Because they fried the, the chicken, right? Fried the chicken. And then they, they just like soaked them in Frank's red sauce and put them in the microwave. I know exactly what they did. Exactly what they did. It wasn't that good, but that's not the anecdote. <laughs> People are funny. Like they're really real. People are funny. Have you noticed that lately? They're funny. Sometimes they're laugh out loud funny. Sometimes they're um, like, what the fuck is going on funny? So I went to natural grocers because I needed to get a, get a few things. And there's this woman that works at natural grocers. And um, she's been there since the store opened. And um, I used to, you know, and I, I know this woman, right? Like I've talked to her before. I know where she lives. I'm not, not creepy. Like, Hey, I know where you live, but I know where she lives. Like she doesn't live in town. She lives in another town. And I ask her how she's liking it, you know, small talk, but that you do in a grocery line. I also know she's a Virgo that we had that discussion. Um, so <laughs> I think it was a couple like visits to natural grocers ago where I was having small talk with her and she was kind of snippy with me and kind of like, I'm like, okay, I thought you and you know, you have these things in your head. Like, you know, I thought we were, and I wasn't taking it personally, but I thought we were cool. Like I thought we had familiarity and kind of small talk. And she's like kind of snippy with me. I'm like, Oh, Okay. Well, you don't get the small talk anymore. You don't get the small talk. I was, it, I was not unconditional, the small talk. So anyway, we go into line yesterday. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to be just, just business with her today. Just business. And of course, the natural grocers, they don't have bags. So they have boxes. And I, and I, and I you know, I size up what I have. I've got uh, two cartons of eggs. I got uh, two half gallons of almond milk, coconut milk, and a few other things. So it's going to take up some space. So I get the box and I put it on, on the, you know, on the register conveyor or whatever. And she says, are you sure you want, are you sure you want one that big? <laughs> I'm like, this is the fucking stupidest question. Are you sure you want one that big? I'm like, yeah. You're right. I'm being gratuitous with my box selection. Let me let me downsize my box. Thank you for looking out for me. 
Thank you for that. Here, let me go find another one. What do you think? Does this match up better? Am, am, am I saving the world by having a smaller box? It's just the weirdest question. Are you sure you want one that? If I didn't want one that fucking big, I wouldn't have chosen that box. Doesn't that make sense? Right? So in the absence of small talk, that's what I get. I get box Karen in the absence of small talk. It was, it was, she's a Virgo. What do you expect? God bless Virgos. They have a hard time. I'm working it out. 29 degrees. I'm working it out. I'm I'm doing my best to hang out with y'all. Um, where do I want to go? Let's talk skull and bones a little bit. Get into the skull and bones. Today's 322. Um, I was looking at significant dates for 322 because you know I always want to do research for the show. And there were a couple days on 322 that are remotely interesting. But I don't think that they have anything really to do with skull and bones. Like I can't make the the connection. But here, but let's go through a few interesting dates on 322. And then we're going to get into um, what I'm going to do is skull and bones. I'm actually going to play some Anthony Sutton today uh, because, well, he's a genius and he has a really interesting accent. And for about the first 15 minutes of this video, since we have some time, he really gets into the nuts and bolts of skull and bones because he was the guy that really cracked the skull and bones code. It's Anthony Sutton. So um, let me get into the 322. And then we're going to, I'll dial up some Anthony Sutton and we'll talk some more skull and bones here. So in this day, there's a lot of violence on this day. Actually, when you think about it, this is an Aries kind of day. The pilgrims of Plymouth Colony signed a peace treaty. That's not bad. That's not an Aries thing. But then you have uh, a year later, the Jamestown massacre. Algonquins killed 347 English settlers around Jamestown, Virginia, a third of the colony's population during the second Anglo-Powhatan War. Uh, the Massachusetts Bay Colony outlaws the possession of cards, dice, and gaming tables. All those distractions, the devil's tools. Uh, Anne Hutchinson was expelled from Massachusetts Bay Colony for religious dissent. What happened to Anne Hutchinson after that? So you get kicked. It's not like you can just go to the next town or a couple towns over or um, go to California and start a new life. Like you get kicked out of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. In 1638, you're kind of fucked. I guess you could, you know, see if you can hang out with what, the Massawoit 
or one of the local tribes? What happened to Ann Hutchinson? Let's find out. She was a Puritan spiritual advisor, religious reformer, and an important participant in the antinomian controversy, which shook the infant Massachusetts Bay Colony from 1636 to 1638. Her strong religious convictions were at odds with the established Puritan clergy in the Boston area, and her popularity and charisma helped her create a theological schism that threatened the Puritan religious community in New England. She was eventually tried and convicted, then banished from the colony with many of her supporters. Oh, so she wasn't alone. Anne Hutchinson was an upstart. Baptized July 20, 1591. Died in 1643, age 52. She was born in Alfred Lincolnshire, England, the daughter of Francis Marbury, an Anglican cleric and school teacher who gave her a far better education than most other girls received. She lived in London, and as a young adult, uh, as a young adult, they're married a friend from home, William Hutchinson. The couple moved back to Alford, where they began following preacher John Cotton in the nearby port of Boston. The couple moved back to, uh, oh, sorry, um, Cotton was compelled to emigrate in 1633, and the Hutchinsons followed a year later with their 11 children. Wow. It soon became well-established in the growing settlement of Boston in New England. Hutchinson was a midwife. Midwife seems to be a theme today. And helpful to those needing her assistance, as well as forthcoming with her personal religious understandings. Soon she was hosting women at her house weekly, providing commentary on recent sermons. These meetings became so popular that she began offering meetings for men as well, including the young governor of the colony, Henry Vane. Hutchinson began to accuse the local ministers, except for Cotton and her husband's brother-in-law, John Wheelwright, of preaching a covenant of works rather than a covenant of grace. Very interesting. And many ministers began to complain about her increasingly blatant accusations as well as certain unorthodox theological teachings, the situation eventually erupted into what is commonly called the antinomian controversy, culminating in the 1637 trial and conviction and her banishment from the colony. That was followed by a March 1638 church trial in which she was put out of her congregation. Wow. Hutchinson and many of her supporters established a settlement in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. So there we go. He said, we don't need no fascist groove thing. We're going to do this on our own. It's a very Aries thing to do. And the Providence plantations, after her husband's death a few years later, threats of Massachusetts annexing Rhode Island, compelled Hutchinson to move totally outside the reach of Boston into the lands of the Dutch. Five of her older surviving children, she lost six children. Long. That's why you had 11 kids, by the way. Because not all of them were going to make it. Well, she settled with her younger children. Near, uh, or, oh, okay. Five of her older surviving children remained in New England or in England while she settled with her younger children near an ancient landmark, Split Rock, in what later became the Bronx in New York City. Tensions were high at the time with the Sea Illinois a uh, Siwanoi Indian tribe. In August 1643, 
Hutchinson and six of her children and other household members were killed. Whoa. By the Siwa noise during the, uh, during Keefe's war, the only survivor was her nine-year-old daughter, Susanna, who was taken captive. Hutchinson is a key figure in the history of religious, religious freedom in America's in, in England's American colonies in the history of women in ministry. Hey, we're still in women's history month, right? So this is, this works challenging the authority of her, of the minister. She's honored by Massachusetts with a state house monument calling her courageous exponent of civil liberty and religious tolerance. She's been called the most famous or infamous woman, infamous English woman in colonial American history. Anybody know about um, Anne Hutchinson? I have to admit, I have to admit, I have to feign ignorance here. Not feign, not, I have to admit ignorance. Um, it's interesting, you know, when we get into these historical figures around women, because, you know, it's really au courant to promote women. I've never heard her name. So you tie it in with religion and Christianity, and it's like, yeah, you you know, um, if it was a soccer analogy, uh, she'd be like a Division two or Division three entry. All right, what else do we have in this day? Slavery was abolished. Uh, well, the, the exportation of slaves was abolished on this day. Did you know that? It happened on this day. Uh, let's see. What else do we have right there? See, the Slave Trade Act of 1794 banned the export of slaves and prohibited American citizens from outfitting a ship for the purpose of importing slaves, 1794. I guess if you weren't an American citizen, you could find a workaround. Let's see. William Holden becomes the first governor of a U.S. state to remove, removed by office from impe by impeachment. So the Spanish National Assembly abolishes slavery in Puerto Rico. There's a lot of liberation themes here. I guess Anne Hutchinson got liberated from her colony. Uh, the Stanley Cup competition is held for the first time in Montreal, Canada. How about that? And we had uh, Char Charby Laos Vasilikos won the first modern Olympic marathon. A lot of firsts. It's an Aries day. Here's an interesting character, Mystic Van Zich Long. The self-proclaimed emperor of Vietnam is arrested for organizing a revolt against the colonial rule of French Indochina, which was nevertheless carried out by his supporters the following day. Interesting. Very Aries kind of day, right? A mystic. A mystic and the self-proclaimed emperor of Vietnam. Their emperor, Norton. Uh, let's see. So Roosevelt comes back in 30, 1933 and says, ah, yeah, we can drink again, but beer's got to be 3.2. Supposedly, the Nazis opened up uh, Dachau in 1933. Another for, the first Masters tournament. Isn't that interesting? The first Stanley Cup and the first Masters. And that's an interesting day for the Masters, right? Because 22 being a master number. So in 1934, the first Masters tournament takes place. 
Very interesting day. The Beatles in 1963, 322. How about that for symbolism? Release Please Please Me. Isn't that kind of an Aries thing? It's all about me. Please please me. 1972, the United States Congress sends the Equal Rights Amendment to the states for ratification. Interesting. Uh, Albania, communism, takes a dirt nap, 1992. Uh, the Intel Corporation ships the first Pentium chips. Look at that. 1993, that's a very Aries kind of thing, right? It's like cutting edge. The new thing, the first Pentium chip today, 322. We saw, we had a hail bop sighting in 1997. Uh, reaches its closest approach to the earth. I remember when that happened. There's a lot more going on here. Carl Walenda died. Remember that? I remember watching the video of that as a kid. He got blown off the, the high wire. Well, this is interesting. 1972, Eisenstadt. Eisenstadt versus Baird. The United States Supreme Court decides that unmarried persons have the right to possess contraceptives. Isn't that something? Today is a big day in trans history. The United Kingdom in 1946 granted full independence to trans Jordan. Yikes. The entire village of Kitan. This is in 1943. Uh, which is present-day Republic of Belarus is burnt alive. Yikes. That's a very Aries thing, isn't it? I think it's interesting that we have the Stanley Cup and the Masters being played for the first time on 322, but it also fits. All right, so I wanted to take you into the Skull and Bones world, and there's no better person um, or guide to do that than Anthony Sutton. And the video isn't that long. It's 30 minutes. I probably won't play the entire thing. Um, and I've talked about this before. The relationship between, you know, you have to understand, Anthony Sutton is uh, a scholar, a writer, and a researcher. And he was based out of Stanford University. And um, they have the, um, what is it, the Woodrow Wilson uh, Institute at Stanford, which has produced a lot of very interesting scholars, right? Like Thomas Sowell, um, Victor Hansen, who uh, is probably fairly well known now for his anti-progressive, anti-left, Victor David Hansen, is that Victor Davis Hansen, um, commentary. Well, Anthony Sutton um, 
Hoover Institute, not Wilson, Hoover Institute. Thank you. Thank you. Anthony Sutton comes from that world. And he starts off as an academic. Now, keep in mind, he's an Aquarian. I wish I would have covered him during the month of Aquarius, but he's an Aquarian. So event he he turns, right? So he he so he he's asked to write a book um, about influence and power. That's it, right? That they give him the instructions. Here's your instructions. We want you to investigate institutional influence and power. It's like, okay. His journey takes him to Skull and Bones. And he does this incredibly deep dive on Skull and Bones and publishes a book around it. And it changes his life. Along the way, he get, he gets into a lot of different areas. He gets into the relationship between um, the bankers, American manufacturing, the Bolsheviks, the Soviets, the Germans. And he shows how uh, American, well, the banking interests through America are building up the Soviets and the Germans at the same time. Um, he gets into it with great detail and great depth. And he really gets into um, what happens in, you know, post-World War II Soviet Union and the relationship that Stalin has with American manufacturers in the Defense Department. Really interesting stuff. Basically says they're tied at the hip. So he's a very interesting character. And, he, and, and eventually he walks away from academia and the Hoover Institute. And he strikes up this relationship with Elizabeth Clare Prophet, who has this doomsday community up in uh, Montana. And the widow of uh, Mark Prophet, who comes out of this whole I am tradition, you know, in the Violet Flame and St. Germain. And, you know, the, the story is that Mark Prophet got taken into Mount Shasta by a group of ancient and enlightened beings and was given um, highly advanced spiritual knowledge by the Ascended Masters. So he hooks up with Elizabeth Clare Prophet and she becomes his wife and he dies and she takes over his teachings and ministry and starts her own thing up in Montana. And I've told this story before. I remember going to the whole life expo. I think it was uh, 1985. It was the first time I'd been to one of these, you know, spiritual fairs. And it was at the Moscone center in San Francisco in the largest room in the Moscone center was, uh, that's where she was. That's where she gave her Sunday talk. And it was fucking packed. It was packed. It was like people were, they were there, right? They were there to see her, listen to her. And, and you know, I knew a little bit about her, but not a whole lot. It was so packed, I couldn't even get in the room. I think he might have even needed to buy like a special ticket or something, which I wasn't about to do. But that's how popular she was during that time. And then she becomes, she now Elizabeth Clare Prophet is a cancer astrologically. So she has these very patriotic kinds of um, connections to America. Like, like Elizabeth Clare Prophet was MAGA. 
she was MAGA before MAGA was MAGA. And she strikes up this really interesting relationship with Anthony Sutton. It's And he goes to Montana on more than one occasion. And they have these very long Q&As. And they're all on YouTube. And I highly recommend them because she asks really good questions. And you can tell there's this affinity between the two of them. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Sutton is an Aquarian. And he's kind of cool with you know, this community that is very different than the one that um, he turned his back on, which was Stanford and academia. So I'm just giving you a bit of a background here on the video we're about to watch and the relationship between the two. So I'm going to play maybe about 20 minutes worth. And that, that'll give you sort of a taste and flavor of Sutton and Elizabeth Clare Prophet. And Anthony Sutton can really lay this thing down about skull and bones uh, in a way that, I mean, I could do it, but he's much better at it. So why don't we just tap into him through the power of the internet? And let me get the, uh, let me get the show up here. Give me one second. Or the, the video up. Hold on. All right. So here we go. All right. So this is uh, Anthony Sutton, The Order of Skull and Bones, Brotherhood of Death, with Elizabeth Clare Prophet from her doomsday, her doomsday community in Montana. Here we go. Please tell us about the order and how you came to discover it exists. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. The order is truly a secret society. It was founded in the United States at Yale University in 1833. It has continued and exists down to the present day. Each year, the order takes in 15 men, senior students from Yale University. Never more than 15, only once has it been less than 15. In 1946, they took in, I think, 10 rather than 15 members. So what we have is a secret society which, over the last 150 years, has accumulated about 2,500 members, of whom perhaps 500 are alive today. Of this 500, perhaps 100 are actively in pursuit of the objectives of the order. It's not another college fraternal society. Yale University is the only university in the United States, or indeed the world, which has senior societies. These are societies where the 15 are selected in the junior year and actually are initiated at the beginning of the senior year. They stay on campus only one year as members. They are called knights. When they graduate, they leave the university, they go out into the world, then they're known as patriarchs. So at any one time, you only have 15 knights in existence, and um, for the rest of their lives, they're known as patriarchs. And they work uh, during their lifetime, or a number do. Uh, towards the ends of the order. They are pretty much guaranteed success, certainly they're guaranteed financial success. 
And in my reading of the material I have, I uh, infer that so long as they go along with the purposes of the order, so long as they uh, gear their careers and their lives towards certain ends, then they are guaranteed success. How did I come to this knowledge? Well, up to six months ago, I denied that there was a conspiracy, because, frankly, I couldn't prove one. I suspected a conspiracy, but I couldn't prove there was one until six months ago. Well, a little before six months ago, um, I received the catalogue, which is the membership list of the society, all the way back to 1833, and I received some of their internal documents, enough for me to put together the way they correspond with each other, the um, operations within the order, to some extent their problems, and to some extent their objectives. Now this is the book, An Introduction to the Order, by Anthony C. Sutton. It has a skull and bones on the front and 322. The 322 is an identification. The um, order has a temple on the Yale campus. Was a it? temple? A temple, yes. It's a building maybe this 50, 60 feet by 40 feet, maybe 40 feet high. There's no windows, two big steel doors. We know what the temple looks like because back in 1880s, uh, a number of Yale students became a little unhappy about what was going on inside this temple. Well, they, when they went by it at midnight, sometimes they heard strange noises and all kinds of rumors on the Yale campus as to what this might be. There was a break-in. I call it the Yale Gate. Uh, <laughs> there was a, a break-in to the temple, and the students who broke in uh, cataloged what they found, and they made a, um, a drawing, a design of the interior of the temple. And uh, three of the rooms are numbered. One is 322, one is 323, and one is 324. Uh, 322 is also, I suspect, the chapter number. Uh, and also in correspondence between members, they conclude their correspondence where you and I would conclude yours truly or yours sincerely. They conclude yours in 322. Why 322? There are several theories for this. One is that the order um, originated with Demosthenes, the Greek, in 322 BC. That's one theory. Another one is that it stems from the founding date in the United States, which was 1832. So really we have um, The last two numbers, 32, the second chapter of, founded in 1832, the skull and crossbones are prominent in their, in their um, ceremonies, initiation ceremonies. This is a symbol of death. Now why would they take a symbol of death? Yes, from what I understand, when a new member is initiated, that would be in the senior year at Yale, he's placed within a coffin. Oh my. And, uh, <laughs> and now we only know this from the Yalegate papers, at least I call it Yalegate. Um, and from the photographs we have of members inside the temple, 
many of these photographs are the 15 sitting around a table and they have this skull and the crossbones sitting on the table in front of them. It is the symbol of death and it has been called the brotherhood of death and I think it, it probably more adequately should be called the brotherhood of death. So what I've had to do is look at the history, the biographies of the leading members of the order and reconstruct their career and see if there's a common pattern in their careers. Uh, while doing that, I came across some interesting documents. Some members apparently are not too happy once they become involved with this after 10 or 20 years. One member in particular left a memorandum. He wrote it in 1932. He was buried away in his papers. I don't think anybody uh, found it before I did. And it was a six-page memorandum on the order, naming some of the members and said it was the most sordid thing ever happened in the history of man. So, but to come back to my point, I have to reconstruct the objectives. What are the objectives? In the words of one member, might is right. If you have the power, you use it to achieve your objectives. What is the objective? As you look at the histories of individual members, it can only be one thing. To acquire power, to keep power, to use power for their own purposes. That year, that senior year, selects the next group from the junior class. Um, within the order, each 15, each group of 15, uh, are known as clubs. I call them cells because they're very close to the Jacobin cell, the revolutionary cells, but internally they refer to them as, as, as clubs. Each club has an identifying number. For example, Avril Harriman is a, a very influential member of the order, the son of um, Edward Harriman, the railroad magnate. Um, Harriman was initiated in 1913. His club number is D111. Um, all his, all the other 14 of D111 have died off. Avril Harriman is the only one left. To come to the other part of your question, who are some of the significant members? Today, two men stand out. One is Avril Harriman, who is the, I suppose, the chief financial angel of the Democratic Party. The other is Vice President George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, the Bush family is uh, quite prominent within the order. Now, if you go back in history a little, you'll find that George Bush's father, Prescott Sheldon Bush, was also a member of the order. He was a member of Brown Brothers Harriman, which is the Harriman Private Banking Company. So today you've got two men who are supposedly in politics in opposition, Bush and Harriman, actually the members of the same secret society, and Bush's father was not only a member, he was a partner in the what was then Harriman and Company, which later became Brown Brothers Harriman. So behind the scenes, and this is something you don't see until you investigate it, people who appear to be in opposition politically or financially or industrially or in many ways um, are working together. Other members might be William Buckley. Now William Buckley became a member in 1949, but the preceding class to that was Bush, 1848. So you get Bush was amongst the 15 who selected Buckley. And Buckley's club, that 15, was 
The 15 that selected, for example, one of the new members for 50 was the Reverend Sloan Coffin, Jr. The Reverend Sloan Coffin, Jr. at Yale was at the core of the anti-Vietnamese um, anti-Vietnamese war disturbances on Yale campus. This is typical. You'll find that men in the same society will take opposite positions in public. So you've got William Buckley, whom I call a House Conservatism member, but so is a man, for example, called Edwin Burt, who has a string of communist affiliations, which is about that long. And we'll get into this later. The method they use is that of the Hegelian dialectic. Thesis played against antithesis leads to a synthesis. In other words, for Hegel, for history to make progress, you have to have conflict. And when you look at the key people, in the order, you will find that they generate conflict. So Bush and Harriman politically are conflicting. Um, Coffin and Buckley, although part of the same order, are in public conflicting with one another because conflict leads to the new synthesis. Other prominent members, one of the most prominent was Howard William Taft, the only man to be both president and chief justice of the United States. The Taft family founded the order in the United States. There have been eight members, eight Taft family members within the order. Um, uh, Taft was uh, probably the most prominent member around the turn of the century, 1910-1920. Uh, Stimson, who was Secretary of War under Taft, then Secretary of State under Hoover, Secretary of War under Roosevelt. Uh, in other words, um, at that level, politics disappears and people often wonder why does a Democrat join a Republican administration. If you check back, you'll find often there's not as a member of the order. So key people would be people like Taft, uh, Stimson, uh, Archibald McLeish, who wrote the Constitution for UNESCO, also a librarian of Congress, uh, the Bush family, the Walker family, um, and above all today, if there's a godfather in the order, it's Avril Harriman. Exactly what causes does the order espouse, and why are these divergent to those of our founding fathers? Well, the causes one can only deduce at this point from the operations of these men as individuals and working together. Um, they want to acquire power above all. Power Political to do what? power. As you look at their actions, the political power is to bring about what they call a new world order, which is a one world. But they use the Hegelian techniques, and we know enough about Hegel to know that not only does this mean the dialectic process, the creation of conflict, but it also means that individuals such as you and I, or anybody watching this program, will be cogs in the state, that we have no individual rights, our rights for, rights for Hegel, individual rights for Hegel come about through obedience to the state. Uh, we see it in the educational process, which we'll probably talk about later, that we have adopted what I call a Hegelian system of education, which is not to bring out your innate talents, but to prepare you to be an individual cog in the state. Now, are you saying the members of the order believe this and this is a part of their worldview? I would say that there is a minority within the order that does believe it. There's one thing I've learned in looking at the papers that they're not all active. 
Maybe at any one time only 20% are active. Undoubtedly the 20% that are active have this goal. If you look at Tuft, Tuft's great work, although as a president he hasn't accounted for very much in the literature, Tuft's great work was to bring about uh, the world court, international law. International law in a world court will be essential in a new world order. If you take, for example, the career of Bush, Vice President Bush, when he was ambassador to the United Nations, he helped a process called Mandalization, uh, which was a process by which an individual American city would adopt um, United Nations uh, statue. In other words, it's a diminution, a dilution of U.S. sovereignty. So if you look at these individuals, O. Stimson is another very good example. Evo Harriman, certainly, in the way he's financed the Soviet Union, has worked towards the build-up of the Soviet Union. If you look at these individuals and ask what is the common pattern, the common pattern is the creation of a one world. Now, supposedly, these people believe that they are great benefactors of our society, the wise men, those who are especially endowed to rule, and who also believe that uh, the best interests of, the Ameri of America happen to be their own best interests as well. I have never seen anything in the literature which um, um, leads me to believe that they have our individual rights in their hearts. What I do see in the literature and in the documents is a, a, um, a ruthless drive to acquire power for themselves and to help each other because this is one of the tenets of the order that if you have three men coming before you for a job, the preference absolutely goes to your brother in the order. This is um, in my book, The Order, Introduction to the Order, I, I call these the chains of influence, and I trace one pattern where Stimson uh, brought the McBundy family into the War Department, then the McBundys go on and become key people both in Department of Defense and in the Council on Foreign Relations. They help each other along the way. And when you get even a small number of men doing this, uh, it can exert a very powerful force, a very powerful influence. So the basic assumption is that because they know what is best for America, the way to preserve that is to amass power to see to it that the destiny they envision comes to pass. My assessment is they're not thinking what is best for America, they're thinking what is best for the order. What is best for order the order first. is what is best for America in the first in their eyes. order. Yes, in their eyes. Yeah. What's good for us has to be good for America, so we will remold America mm -hmm. according to the pattern. That's right. Yes. It remains secret for 150 years because these people are under an oath not to talk about it. I understand that a member of the order may not remain in the room if it comes under discussion. Now, if I can elaborate on this a little bit, this poses a problem for Mr. Bush because I write something called the Phoenix Letter, which is a monthly newsletter, and last November I began to open up. And a reader wrote to Mr. Bush and said, um, is what uh, Mr. Sutton says, are you a member of this order? And the letter he got the reader got back was very interesting. Um, it said, in effect, that the vice president was not a member of a sordid secret society. That was not the question. The question was, are you a member of a secret society? 
The answer came back, he is not a member of a sordid secret society. <laughs> he inserted the word, you see. Uh, this was a reader who doesn't give up, so he went back again. And um, I understand that uh, as it stands, as we are now, that Mr. Bush is not willing either to admit he is a member of the order or to deny it because they're under this oath not to discuss it. So when people look at the Council on Foreign Relations, in effect what they've been doing is looking at a kind of a veil which hides the order? Yes. Uh, the core or my work came about almost by accident. If someone had not donated to me the membership list, we wouldn't be here today. It's remained secret because nobody has done that. Everybody's been looking at the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderbergers. They're not truly conspiracies because the membership lists are open. The membership list of the order has not been open. So there's a distinction between the CFR and the Trilaterals and the order. CFR and Trilaterals are not conspiracies because they are not secret. They do what comes back. <laughs> and this, of course, is very different to argument to many people who have promoted conspiracy have made. They get across the idea that these people telephone each other and have little drawings and maps and diagrams. They don't operate like that at all. If you meet these people, they think alike. They talk alike. They come up with the same idea simultaneously and they move simultaneously. They know what they have to do. So they're a breed. They're a breed. Exactly. They're a breed. So that's a really interesting commentary and maybe a good place to stop even though i find this really fascinating sutton the thing that sets sutton apart from just about anybody else is he gets the documents he gets the letters and he did it because he was able to get it because he was from the hoover institute right this guy was a man of letters like if you're a man of letters you get the letters you you get the original, you know, like, you know, bill of lading or the receipts, right? I mean, this is what happens. But he says that they were breed, that they are literally in a kind of lockstep in terms of their thought, ideology. It's as if they don't even have to communicate. Now, I think what's interesting is that he brings up this idea that maybe 20% of uh, skull and bones are really active. But when you look at the 20%, it's, they're really highly placed, very, very highly placed. So their influence is um, quite pronounced. The, uh, the most famous incident where skull and bones is brought up is the uh, presidential race uh, that took place in 2004 between uh, John Kerry and George Bush. And both John Kerry and George Bush were members of Skull and Bones. And Tim Russert, who at that time was uh, working for NBC. And I think he was one of their kind of top journalists, reporters, investigators. Asked them both about membership in Skull and Bones. And when you listen to Sutton and you understand that if the subject comes up, they're supposed to leave the room.
and there the cameras are rolling, right? So Kerry couldn't leave the room. George Bush couldn't leave the room. So they had to make a joke about it. I could play the video, but you guys have seen the video. And not long after that, Tim Russert dies. Now, I'm not saying that the two are linked, but I do find it um, odd. The only guy in the media that asked him about being a part of Skull and Bones winds up dead. He had a heart attack. So what did you have? You had two Skull and Bones members running against each other. And from what I understand, again, based on the election results, and because I followed it pretty in, uh, intensely back in the day, that Kerry actually won the election. He won the election. But, and, and there was all kinds of voter fraud. You think the voter fraud just started to happen? It's been going on for a long time. And people hated George Bush by that point in time. He had expended all the goodwill that he had accrued post 9-11. He was just this highly unlikable character. And it was kind of like, you know, ABB, anybody but Bush. And so Kerry comes in. And he was, when when they went to the, the primary, in, you know, what was it in... Uh, Iowa, the Iowa primary, he was he was a nobody. But by the time that primary was over, he was a somebody. And he was the number one candidate to run against uh, Bush. He was just propped up, right? So there, you, you just know that there are people inside the media, whether they're directly or indirectly related to Skull and Bones. It was their job to make Kerry uh, a respectable candidate that he actually had a chance. And at the end of the election, eh, he just walked away, you know, and there was a lot of weird shit with that election, but that's what he was paid to do. I mean, that's part of the game, right? He just, he played controlled opposition. You could just see it with these two cats. And what is Kerry doing now? He's going to Davos. He's hanging out with the World Economic Forum. So you can see, you know, the long reach of his relationship with this order and how to this day he's influencing global policy. And they're all about power. They're, and this is one thing that is part of the takeaway, I think, for today. There is no left or right. At that level, there's no left or right. They don't care. Right. Their goal is to accrue power. Their objective is to assert a particular worldview that they as patriarchs have the divine right to assert, right? That's their role. So there is so when you see this shit around Trump and all this other stuff and all this conflict, this gets into what Sutton talks about. The Hegelian dialectic, right? Problem, reaction, solution. Left, right, left, right, left, right, right, left. You know, the conflict. He says they create change through conflict, which is a very Aries theme. And out of the conflict, they have some form of resolution. 
and we're, we're you know we're we're in the we're in the deep with that right and again i keep coming back that if you know if there's a side you know, do you really want to be part of the blue hair commando squad no so but then on the other side you you have people like marjorie taylor green who i think is a phony i think she's an outright phony and she you know parades around as being you know this hardcore mega person I don't buy it, right? I just, I don't buy it. And you can see the, you know, somebody like Dan Crenshaw, I talked about this um, yesterday on, quite frankly, I think, you know, Dan Crenshaw sponsoring this bill to basically declare, um, you know, the cartels, a terrorist group who co-sponsors the bill. It's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Those two couldn't be further apart in terms of their ideology. And so they're not left, right? but they may as well be in some ways. And it shows you how the game is played and people don't really quite grasp this or understand it, but this is the model and it comes out of, comes out of that world, right? The, the 322 world. And you have these, the fake opposition. I think it's a really interesting um, point of discussion because that's what's going on in the world. And and this is the the conflict of the world theater. Anyway, um, by the way, Ron DeSantis went to Yale. I don't know if DeSantis is a member or was a member, but I wouldn't put it past him. So it'd be interesting if somebody asked him a question. I'd be I'd be hard pressed to believe that he wasn't a member. I mean, just because you go to Yale doesn't mean that you're a member of Skull and Bones. Because remember, they only take 15 people each year. It's a very, very select group. So I just wanted to play you um, some of that because I think Anthony Sutton is brilliant. And he, he got it. He understood it. And he understood the concept of power and how it doesn't have any allegiance to either side. All right. I wanted to kind of end today's show with a, a fairly humorous video that um, I think most of you have probably seen because you guys are so smart and so with it. But in case you haven't seen it, I can't resist playing it. Um, and I don't know when the video was shot, but it just came out recently. Let me see if I can find this thing. Um, oh, I know where it is. I know where it is. I got to go to the source. Hold on now. Okay, now I've lost it. Give me one sec. I'm actually going to extend the time in the show just a little bit. So I don't want to be up against the wall. I'm going to add 30 minutes. There we go. Ah. By the way, if you want, if you want to see a, a really good movie that does depict Skull and Bones, it's um, called The Good Shepherd with uh, Matt Damon. I highly recommend it. 
and it's and the film basically says that the roots of the OSS, which is ultimately the CIA, comes out of that that group. Okay. Um, Okay. Where's our guy here? Where's our guy? Uh, here we go. I know where to find it. I know where to find it. Let's see. Here it is. Ha ha. Found it. Okay. So I'm pulling this from uh, Officer Tatum. Shout out to Brandon Tatum. I like his channel. Okay. So I'll, I'm sure you guys have seen the video, but in case you haven't, I don't know when this was, but Fauci and Muriel Bowser, who's the mayor of Washington, D.C., are making the rounds. And they're going door to door to make sure people get vaccinated. This is COVID territory, right? And they knocked on the wrong door. <laughs> it's like this dude goes full Samuel L. Jackson uh, without the F-bombs on these two. There's, a, there's that lizard. All right, let's play this. People in America are not settled with the information that's been given to us right now. So I'm not going to be lining up taking a shot on a vaccination for something that wasn't clear in the first place. And then you all create a shot in miraculous time. It takes years to but create vaccination. Well, it, it used to take years. Okay, it used to. It, you, it know used how, to take years. you know how many years were invested in this? In okay, the so this is really weird. I was noticing this about Fauci. He starts rubbing his arm. He starts rubbing his arm. Isn't this where you get vaccinated? Right? Why is he doing that? Is it just kind of a reflex? Or is he trying to do some kind of weird NLP on the dude? Because that's usually where you get vaccinated. He starts rubbing his arm. It's just a notice. I had to stop it there. I'll stop this one more time before it's done. Let me go back and start beginning, okay? So they go to his door, and he basically is like, no, I'm not having this. Well, play it again. With the information that's been given to us right now. So I'm not going to be lining up taking a shot on a vaccination for something that wasn't clear in the first place. And then you all create a shot in miraculous time. It takes years to create vaccination. Well, it, it used to take years. Okay, it used to. It, it you, know used how, to take years. you know how many years were invested in this, in this approach? About 20 years of science to get us to be able to do it. 20 years is not enough. 
And nine months is definitely not no. enough for nobody to be taking no vaccination that you all came up with. The only yeah. reason I'm talking to you right now, as close as we are, is that I've been vaccinated. Right. But if it allow thousands of people like you don't get vaccinated, you're going to let this virus continue to percolate in this country and in this world. Something like the common flu then, right? And, and not like, not it's like much the more serious flu. than the flu. Though. Well, the flu kills a lot of people. And yeah. the you know how many people died of the flu the last year? I mean, not this year, virtually none, but the previous year, about 20 to 30,000. You know, how many people have died from COVID-19 in the United States? 600,000 Americans. Well, you, well, that, well the, the number that you all given that died, that's, that's once again, that's you all's number. You gonna pass. Yeah, definitely. Because when, when you start talking about paying people to get vaccinated, when you start talking about incentivizing things to get people vaccinated, there's something else going on with that. Something yeah, else, something it, else going I, on. It is that. something going yeah. on. You're right. That. But I'm glad. Uh, she just admitted it. She just admitted it. Yeah, you're right. There is something going on with it. But she's got to press forward. Notice how they're wearing green. Notice that they're wearing green. Their little green agenda. They're tying the green agenda to the uh, wholesome and organic uh, inoculation, right? Yeah, I kind of agree with that. You're, you're right. There is something up with that. You now, Fauci's gone, gone into, I'm crossed my arms. I'm done with this dude mode. Millions of people like me and most everybody here most everybody. didn't get an incentive. You know what their incentive was? Protecting their health and protecting the city. Right. But that, I, I, right. I won't it's keep doing anymore. As soon as he said that, right? That was it. That was that was the that was the spell breaker. That was the spell breaker. And then they're moving on. And look at Fauci. He's like, I can't fucking believe I have to do this. I can't believe I have to do this shit. It's okay, because my, 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 my incentive y'all campaign is about fear. It's about inciting fear in people. You all attack people with fear. That's what this pandemic is. It's a fear. It's fear, this pandemic. That's Here's your angel numbers, 222. If you're keeping score at home, 222 are your angel numbers for today. Oh, I guess this is Fauci in the car. Here we go this pandemic that's all it is he pops these pills what the fuck is this about that's what i'm talking yeah he pops these pills you can remember back in the old days you'd watch a tv show and some guy would have a condition and you're like i need my pills i need my pills honey hold on i'll get your pills for you and all of a sudden he gets his pills Oh, 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 thank you. Thank you. Then there's always a, you're out of pills. <gasps> it was more along the lines of kind of the, the 11th hour, and then the pills show up and the person takes and pops their pills and then they're magically okay. You don't think a little bit of science is being sold in those movies? I need my pills. What do you think Fauci's popping? I bet she's popping a lorazepam or whatever it is, right? He's he's popping something to like 
calm his nerves. That's what I think Fauci's popping. That stressed him out. He was way out of his comfort zone. Way out of his comfort zone. You know, Fauci's a Capricorn. You know, he's, he's, his comfort zone is board meetings, teleconferences, right? That's his comfort zone. I'll tell you what isn't his comfort zone. It's the sign opposite is, and that's cancer. He ran into cancer with that dude, right? He got a lesson from that guy's front porch, which is very cancerian. He was way out of his element. That is not Fauci's element. Like being on the streets, dealing with, you know, folk. That's, that's his kryptonite. And he didn't do a very good job with it. Bowser. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, something's up with that. I agree. Why the fuck are you there? We know why you're there. You have to be there. Or else you don't get to be mayor anymore. That's why you're there. We think Peachy. You agree? Look at her. Look at her. Jasper, Jasper was uh Jasper's in the bathroom right now. Because that's where I left him. He was sleeping on a towel. He does it sometimes. They're kind of getting along. I'm not sure if they're going to be best buddies. But as, as long as they, they can cohabitate, I think it'll be okay. All right. Thanks for being here on 322. Skull and Bones Day. You know the drill. Use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart to stay open what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Chataria, thank you for being here. Always a pleasure. We'll see you guys tomorrow with the Astro Weather in another edition of 15 Minutes of Flame. Bye for now.